In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go down to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. And when they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. <clears throat> May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. It was Smithsonian Magazine that reported Ann Smith's story. One day Ann was sitting in her car outside her home when she was suddenly overcome by an acute depression. She said, it felt like someone had let all the air out of me. I couldn't move. It took too much energy. For months afterwards, Ann Smith would lie on the floor of her office in the middle of her workday, too tired, too beat to do anything else. Up to this point in her life, Ann Smith had been a busy, healthy person. The next eight years became an agonizing series of drugs, mood elevators, psychotherapy, even shock treatments. Physicians kept trying one thing after another to deal with Ann's crushing depression. What was strange was that it seemed to be seasonal. She only got it in winter. When the days would begin to lengthen, when winter would give way to spring, Anne's depression would lift and subside. That provided the crucial clue to enable them to diagnose the problem. Anne, they discovered, suffered from SAD, seasonal affective disorder. This is more than just the holiday blues. Seasonal affective disorder is a disease, a depression, that seems to be caused by darkness and is cured by light. Researchers believe that the pineal gland secretes the hormone melatonin, a substance that depresses the central nervous system, and that it does this only in the dark. Light then, when it's absorbed through the retina, influences the brain to retard the secretion of this hormone. In order to treat Anne's SAD, she was encouraged to take early morning walks and greet the rising sun. 
in deepest winter, she would spend some time each day in front of her own artificial sun, a box of eight full-spectrum fluorescent tubes. These things lifted Anne's spirit. Light turned out to be Anne's salvation. It's our salvation, too. Light heals and reveals. Light is a delight and an attraction. We're drawn to light. I heard the story of a country doctor in the 1800s who was called out to a Scottish farmhouse in the middle of the night to help deliver a child. As the mother labored on the kitchen table, her husband assisted the doctor by holding up a gas lamp to illuminate the makeshift delivery room. And after a time of difficult labor, the mother produced fine baby boy. Then to the surprise of both parents, the doctor announced the arrival of a second child. The days before sonograms, childbirth had a lot more surprises. <laughs> the mother then delivered a lovely daughter and the husband was very shaken by this unexpected turn of events. So you can imagine his astonishment when he heard the doctor say, hang on, I think there's a third. These are triplets. At this, the father began to back out of the room. <laughs> Hold it, said the doctor, come back with that lamp. Oh no, said the father, it's the light that attracts them. <laughs> light is pretty attractive, isn't it? From the earliest times, human beings have worshipped the sun, worshipped the moon. We're drawn to and attracted by light. We mistrust darkness, for darkness is a cover for evil, and it can make us depressed. It makes it hard for us to find our way. So it's no wonder that Isaiah says that the city of God will be full of light. And when we sing in the Messiah, the people who walked in darkness shall see a great light, for light suggests safety in the midst of darkness. That's why tonight is the night that we celebrate Jesus' birth as the coming of the light of the world. One of my favorite authors, Robert Fulgham, tells the true story of a man named Alexander Papaderos. Papaderos is the founder of an institute for reconciliation and peacemaking on the Greek island of Crete. People go to his institute to search and research creative ways to resolve conflicts between groups of people. Fulgham recounts in his book attending a seminar led by Alexander Papaderos. As Papaderos concluded his presentation one day, he asked, are there any questions? There was silence, and so Fulgham raised his hand as a joke and said, yes, Dr. Papaderos, what is the meaning of life? Everyone laughed, started to go. But Dr. Papaderos raised his hand and said, I would like to try to answer your question. And he took out his wallet, and out of it he brought a very small round mirror about the size of a quarter. He says, when I was a small child, I found this little piece of mirror. I played with it as a toy, and I became fascinated, fascinated by the fact that with it, I could reflect light into dark places where the light would never go, into holes in the ground or crevices or dark closets. It became a game for me to try to get 
light into the most inaccessible places I could find. I kept the little mirror, and as I grew up, I would take it out in idle moments and continue the challenge of the game. And as I became a man, I grew to see that this was not just a child's game, but this was a sign for what I might be able to do with my life. I came to understand that I am not the light or the source of the light, but light and truth and understanding is there, and it will only shine in many dark places if I reflect it. I am a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light into the dark places of the world. That's why I went into the field of conflict resolution, to try to shine light into the dark places of the hearts and minds of people and to change some things. That is what I'm about. That is the meaning of life to me. And Fulgham concludes that when he was done with the answer, he took this small mirror and he caught the light that was coming in through the window and he reflected it right on his face and on his hands folded on the desk. We are not the light. Jesus is. But we can reflect light in dark places. We all know tonight that there's a lot of dark places in our world. We see on the news every day what's happening in places like Syria, Afghanistan, Turkey, where people are fighting and killing each other. We see the streets of Oakland and the Bay Area, where within a mile of here, people are sleeping in tents on the sidewalk or under overpasses. There's a lot of dark places in our world. But our job as followers of Jesus Christ is to do a little bit that we can to shine some light into those places. Some of us have dark places in our own homes this night. Many of you tomorrow will have a chair at the table that is empty. These poinsettias are, represent loved ones who are gone. And some of you are mourning a parent or a brother or a sister or a spouse who has died this past year. And there'll be a, a blank place at the table. For some of you, it's not that someone has died, but they're just not there. They've moved. They live somewhere else. And you mourn their absence and you wish tomorrow that they would be able to be present to celebrate with you at that time. So our job is twofold tonight and tomorrow. First, let the, the presence of Christ fill up the darkness in your life. Let him shine the light of his love into the dark spots that are in your life so that he may be filling up your, your life with his presence. And then secondly, our job is to do all we can to reflect the light of his love into as many dark places as we can in the world. So tomorrow, amidst all the food and the presents and all that, make sure you take some time, parents, to set your children down and tell them what a gift they are to you. Spend a moment with your spouse and remind him or her of all that is beautiful in them. Call an old friend and thank them for the gift of your friendship. And when next week, when you're returning the presents, 
and you go to that dark place called the mall, <laughs> reflect the light of Christ onto the face of the harassed and harried clerks who are assisting you that day. And in doing so, you'll find not only the meaning of Christmas, but the meaning of life. For that is our meaning, to reflect Christ's love into the dark places of this world. In just a moment, we're going to be singing the words which sum up everything that tonight is about. The beautiful words, silent night, holy night, son of God, love's pure light. Radiant beams from my holy face, with the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord, at your birth. Jesus, Lord, at your birth. Amen. <laughs> 